Welcome back to another Box to Box episode. Plenty. I feel like we haven't recorded in like a month or so. Um, it's the world's longest international break. So. It honestly felt like the world's longest international break, including... Anyway, we'll get into it. But obviously, WSL to cover. A few um, exciting things happening, I guess. I feel like the results weren't exciting in the WSL this weekend, but what teams did is interesting in the long term yeah in the long term um and obviously we're recording this on the tuesday morning so last night was the ballon d'or let's do a quick ballon d'or chat because i think controversies here and there but i think for once jesse and i are on the same page about something <laughs> and we both think beth mead should have won <laughs> obviously. obviously i think that's really obvious <laughs> Last night, Alexia Poteas won her second Ballon d'Or, consecutive Ballon d'Or at that. Um, one point from Beth Mead in second place. Jesse, what do you think about that point difference? I was surprised it was that close, to be honest. I was very surprised. Which I also think means that some of the drama around it shouldn't be there because I can kind of see both sides of the argument. I think it's totally fair for Alexia to win and I guess I feel like I mean one I kind of think individual awards are dumb anyway but leaving that aside I think answering the question of like who would you prefer to have in your team last year Alexia or Beth Mead like I personally would always take Alexia so that's that's like no question to me that kind of does mean she was the best player last year to be honest I'd have preferred Sam Kerr than Beth Mead anyway but I think when you're thinking about those individual awards for me I really associate with players who can do something out of nothing and I think that's what Alexia has which even though Beth Mead's had some like great individual moments I think also like lots of her really good performances say for England came as part of what was a really really good team whereas Alexia like even in Barcelona losing that Champions League final like she has the one moment of quality for Barcelona in that game and for me that is just like what kind of gives her the edge. Yeah you can argue like I I have no doubt that Alexia Definitely deserved it. I mean, just when you look at the numbers, she came out the league's second top goal scorer. I think it was three, four behind Asisia Ochoala and Geise, who got joint top scorer of the league. Second top score, top goal scorer of the league. Top assister of the league. And had the invincible season. And that's not to mention that, you know, they won the triple at home. They got to the Champions League final. Alexia finished joint top goal scorer of the Champions League final. Everything is there. And that's not to mention all her qualities that she has on the pitch. Because as you said, Jesse, Alexia Podeas is always going to be on my team no matter what. Um, but then you have the argument that perhaps... And I do feel bad. And I, I'm saying this like not in a bad way. But Barcelona do give Alexia the opportunity to win trophies. Whereas Arsenal don't really give that to Beth Mead. You know, the FA Cup disappointment, the league disappointment, Champions League disappointment. You have those which Arsenal aren't really going to give... Beth Mead the level you know if Alexia didn't you know if they lost the final of the cup if they didn't win the league it would be a completely different story but Barca give Alexia that opportunity to win those trophies whereas Arsenal aren't really there yet which is quite interesting but then you see that and then you find it interesting that Sam Kerr wasn't um, as high on that list considering everything that Chelsea won yeah but I think that's just a Champions League thing and I think that's kind of fair because I think that's the other thing that I think interesting is is which players make the biggest impacts in the moments that really matter. And and I do think that's, again, something that obviously Arsenal don't necessarily help Beth Mead, but 
I'm not sure if like Mead was at her best in in the games that really mattered, even for England. Like the tightest England games weren't ones that Beth Mead had an impact on, like the Spain game and the final. And that's not to take away, like she obviously had an amazing tournament, but I think lots of English players did as well. And I think what's maybe hard from Mead's perspective, which I also get, is that if it's like the award is like about having just a ridiculous, I have no doubt that, well, maybe this is unfair, but I think last season was probably the best year ever of Beth Mead's career. Like it's mm-hmm. hard to see her yeah, that's no doubt. hopping it. And it, I get why it kind of sucks for her that at the same time you're up against a player who who is just probably a level better than you and who hasn't even had really an exceptional season by their standards. So then you're like, well, what could you do? But that's why I'm like, the fact that she came within one point, I think that's like, that's really cool. And obviously it's not as nice as like walking away with the trophy, but. Yeah. What did you think of no Leon player being in the top five? Yeah, I think that was surprising. But I also think, and this is again why these things are so stupid, because you're looking over such a long period of time. And I think whilst Leon obviously won the Champions League final, and that was like a really impressive game, I didn't think they were as good in the rest of the Champions League as Barcelona were, say. And I wouldn't have necessarily, like if anyone, maybe I'd have wanted to push Kat Macario up because I thought she had a really, really good season, probably the best. But, you know, Hegeberg didn't even play half that season. And then she has a really rubbish Euros. Renard kind of similarly. My, my ex- I said it yesterday. I was like, Renard does not deserve to be in that top five after what Katoto did to her. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you were going to put a defender in the, in the top five, it, it would have been Millie Bright for me. I actually think she's someone who was kind of hard done by in terms of she was very winning the WSL, two FA Cups and the Euros mm. as Chelsea and England's starting centre-back. Like, if Renard is there, Millie Bright should probably be there. <laughs> yeah, I think she came like fifteenth or something. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I I think the Leon thing like was less surprising, and also they were really well represented further down. And but and I think that's kind of fair. I I don't think they really had a standout player. Yeah, that's fair. Like I think... it would have been Cat for me if it was anyone. That is, yeah, I definitely agree with that. But obviously, just a quick run through: Alexia Potellas, obviously first; Beth Mead second; Sam Kerr third. Lena Overdorf, number four, my girl, <laughs> and Aitana Bonmati, number five. I think overall it's quite decently represented, but I think, yeah, I think it's indisputed that Alexia Podias did deserve to, to win that one. And I'm not just saying that for any <laughs> reason. Um, and I know you're like, yeah, it's indisputed as everyone it's on indisputed. Twitter. Nobody everyone can Twitter argue argues. this. <laughs> Non-debatable. <laughs> okay, but going back... We'll, we'll, we'll get back on track going with the WSL. Reading nil, Arsenal won. A win, nevertheless, for Arsenal away at Reading, which obviously they struggled with last season. Arsenal's attack being wasteful. Not the greatest results in terms of playing bottom of the league, but it is what it is. Jesse, is Jonas shuffling the pack a little too much? Yeah, I think this game's like... This game's complicated for me because... I think Arsenal did more than enough to win it. Like, their XG was well over, like, two. Kim Little misses a penalty, which, like, never happens, right? And Mm. and if stuff goes slightly differently, we're maybe not having this conversation. But I think because stuff did go that way, I do think there's, there's something that still doesn't feel like it's quite clicking about Arsenal's attack. And I think this is the kind of game that, that maybe showed that. 
even though, you know, they did create some like great chances against a Reading team who, who we know aren't great, but I think they definitely improved. But it does just feel like there's, you know, a lot of swapping players around. And obviously part of that is, you know, impacted now by the injuries in defence. So Katie McCabe's moving back, even though we've seen her kind of play on the wings a lot. But I do just wonder if they would be better settling into something and allowing those players to build up better relationships rather than kind of constantly moving people around. I mean, they've obviously, you know, settled the midfield and Wien Reuters got that right back spot nailed down. So maybe it's just something to come and, and maybe we're overthinking it. And obviously it was like massively rainy and all of that kind of stuff. And and another day they probably walk away with a 4-0 win. But there's just something about this Arsenal team, which, and this is true for Chelsea as well. And I think we can talk about that in a moment, but it doesn't feel quite right yet. No, I definitely agree with that. But for just purposes, the lineup was Katie McCabe left back, Steph Catley, Lotte Ruben Moy as centre backs, Van Rodier as right back, Kim Little, Leovalti, Vivian Miedema as the middle three, Caitlin Ford on the left, Stina Baxtinius through the middle, and Beth Mead on the right. A quick question, Jesse, yes or no? Is this the lineup that they should use against Leon? I think it's the lineup they have to use against Leon. I agree. I don't really see... I don't think Lotta Wobbenmoy and Steph Catley is, like, the world's best centre-back pairing by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it's Arsenal's best one right now. Yeah. And I think Arsenal are very fortunate that they've got a player like Katie McCabe, who is an elite fullback, so you can move Steph Catley over and you're not sacrificing. That position, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's really important, but I don't know. I I still would also have liked to have seen seen maybe some more... Lena Hurtig. I don't know what what you think about yeah. that, but I've, no, I've kind of been surprised by how little we've we've had of her. I think I think that might go down to the fact that Jonas is still not certain about what he wants to do. So I think because Cena Blacksinius was here from last season, it's just the more comfortable choice for everyone around to like have her as a starting. I like I don't think he really knows what to do with Lena Hurtig in, in terms, and maybe like she doesn't really feel comfortable that much yet in terms of being able to to be confident. And I think. I do think that this lineup against Reading is the lineup that we will see against Leon because I think he could have, you know, he probably could have given Jen Beattie a run, Jordan Nob some minutes, um, considering you're playing against the bottom of the league. But considering that Leon is tomorrow, this lineup is probably the one that he's been trying to, to like practice for Leon. But I guess here's a more another quick interesting question: substitutes, Jordan Nobs, Frida Manu, Noel Maritz, Lina Hertig. Manu Ibuchi among some who would you put on against Leon in like the last half an hour um I don't know I I do wonder if Marnham could have an important role to play if she was going to come on because actually the area I worry most about for Arsenal against Leon is midfield just because I think that's the only area where Leon aren't at absolutely even more injured than Arsenal themselves like if you look at the players they've got missing from their attack and defence and we obviously spoke about this I think on a UWSL preview pod but yeah I think Freedom Marnham's maybe physicality the, the energy she gives when she comes on I think could be quite big especially when you're going up against a DVD or a Damaris which or is a like Lindsay Horan yeah, who is in energy is in quite scary form right yeah. now like I think obviously we didn't do a pod after the internationals, but like from that England USA game, Haram was maybe the only USA player who, like, I thought had a really exceptional game mm. in that match, and that's definitely where I would maybe 
worry for Arsenal because, you know, I, I can't talk carry on talking about it, but like I still don't think Viv's like works in midfield. And no. I think it 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 might be easy for Leon to kind of play around that. Yeah. I agree. But for once, clean sheets. Arsenal have been doing decent. Manuela Zinsberger, we've talked about her last season, about how much she stepped up. I think that it got sparked when Lily Williams came to Arsenal and, and you saw that level of, of Manu Zinsberger kind of really step up because before that, she was always that that shaky keeper that can kind of give you that mistake at any moment. Clean sheet record for Arsenal, Manu Zinsberger. Can she be the big difference in the WSL this season for Arsenal? Yeah, I just need to say that this clean sheet record is not a real record. I mean, it's a record. It's a real that, record, Jesse. It's a record in that there's like WSL clean sheets, but given that Arsenal have conceded to other teams during this time, I'm not really it's counting not real. it as. Um, I'm not counting it as evidence of spectacular defensive ability. <laughs> That's what I will say. Um, I but I do think Zinsberger has improved, but. We know from the Euros, she still has those mistakes in her. And I think this season will be really important for her to maybe try and iron that out of her game. In some ways, she does remind me a bit of like AKB in terms of having that very good shot-stopping ability. We saw that in this in this Reading game, I think, but not always having those other elements of the game that we know more progressive teams like to have in terms of, you know, being better with her feet and things like that. But, yeah, I think, you know, the fact that she's still such a young goalkeeper, I think she is a really, really good asset to Arsenal. And she will, she's going to be so important now with Williamson and Rafaeli being out. Because, you know, when you're shuffling your defence like that, I think you really need your goalkeeper to step up. And thinking about when uh, Chelsea, like, collapsed to Wolfsburg last year, I, I think part of the problem then was when Magda Eriksson like went off injured and then we just had like Zatira Musevic and she wasn't used to like everything was changing in the defense so I think the relationship between the goalkeeper and the centre-backs is so essential and you really want Zinsberger to like be able to lead and basically yell at the players in front of her who aren't necessarily as well in Catley's case as used to even playing there right or and in Lotta's case like haven't had as many minutes this season. No I definitely agree I think the confidence that Manu has gotten overall over the past couple of seasons can be big considering as you mentioned you know Leah Williamson and Raffaele it impacts Arsenal so so much because the level that you get from them to versus your second choice level it drops off so much and when you're going up against a Leon and all these big teams it is so important to have that solid backline um when you're going up against some of the best teams in the world and Arsenal aren't used to that just yet I was talking with them a little bit yesterday and everyone's just excited to go up against a big team because it doesn't happen so often so it's like it's that feeling of is Arsenal really prepared for this and I guess they're lucky that it's in a group stage so they can you know not do too well but we'll see Zinsberger I'm, I'm up for Zinsberger coming up with some big saves tomorrow but another team that hasn't really clicked yet Chelsea Everton won Chelsea three um first game without Emma Hayes first game out of don't know how many I would assume by the end of the year at least probably yeah I don't know I did google it like how long does it take to recover from a hysterectomy <laughs> med.com <laughs> yeah um and it kind of said like four to six weeks so I guess okay. maybe we might have her back before the end of the season but obviously it's so dependent on, on her health and her recovery and I know Chelsea 
won't rush it. And I guess Chelsea are lucky that they do have they have probably one of the strongest assistant coach systems of of maybe any women's team in the world in terms of having like an absolute gazillion UEFA A coaches like Denise Reddy, Tanya Oxtaby, the other guy as well. He's got the a, other he's, guy. I can't reckon I remember his name, but he's got like a really high license too. So I do think Chelsea are in a good place. But yeah, Emma Hayes is such a strong personality, right? Like it is it like a touchline personality that's going to be lost, but in terms of tactics, I do agree that they might be prepared for it. Obviously, Denise is kind of set to handle a not so settled Chelsea side. Chelsea have been going with the back four despite having three center backs, a four, two, three, one, um, but still kind of not defensively convincing. Kadisha Buchanan not looking too good either. Mm-hmm. Jesse, what are you thinking about this formation and lineup? Yeah, it's really weird because I think against Everton, it didn't look great. I thought Magda definitely struggled at left back. I thought Millie was just putting stupid passes about. And I thought, you know, Khadija Buchanan, I mean, she obviously scored the own goal, but there wasn't really much she could do about it. I'm honestly more concerned about the defending in the lead up to it, which allowed Gabby George just to have the free header. And she made some great recovery tackles, but she also was kind of taking the ball out and then losing it and then being out of position. So it's just weird to me because I wouldn't write off this formation just yet because I think we, you know, we played it against Manchester City, who in terms of, you know, exciting attacking wingers, there aren't necessarily many other teams, you know, in Europe who I'd say in in that way of attacking you in terms of just really going at your fullbacks, like who are going to, be much much ahead of them and you know Ericsson dealt dealt fine with that really obviously interestingly we used Mielda in that game rather than Perisset and I think it's clear that she's kind of still finding her feet which is fine so I do think there's an element of like yeah it might come but it's just like how quickly do we need it to get sorted out PSG and Real Madrid maybe yeah, well, exactly, right? So they're big challenges to to kind of come come through. But mm. I think the, the player who I'm surprised we still haven't seen it yet is Jess Carter. I think the problem is, is I don't know who you drop out of the squad mm-hmm. for her. Like, if I was going to be totally honest, I kind of think for PSG, I'd be tempted to say you play Perisette, Bright, Ericsson and Carter um, and, and maybe take Buchanan out just for a bit because uh, I just feel like she's Would kind you of... take her out considering? So this was another thing I was speaking about yesterday. Buchanan hasn't looked good in the WSL, but perhaps a European game mm. against PSG is her comfort zone. Mm. So could you see like the, like the real... I mean, we know that Buchanan is not the player that she once was also. Like she's she's dropped off a little bit in my opinion, but is and she's still getting used to Chelsea and WSL, but is a European game against PSG where she is most comfortable and where perhaps Chelsea can probably get the most out of her? Yeah, potentially. I think the only question mark I have is does Buchanan look uncomfortable because she's playing as the left side of centre back and she's not mm-hmm. used to that? And I don't know whether that's something that there's an answer for because then you'd have to, if you were going to give her the opportunity at right side of centre-back, you have to drop Millie Bright, and you can't put Millie Bright at, at right-back. Um, so <laughs> I think that's the question is, like, I don't... And this is maybe a question, obviously, for the club. Is Buchanan's mm. form down to the fact that she's adjusting and she's had a bit of a shaky start and she's kind of figuring it out, she's, she's building new relationships, or is it that she actually just doesn't really suit playing in this position at all? 
question for Denise, maybe. <laughs> okay, a quick question, Champions League wise. Who would you put up against Baltimore and Liga Martins? Well, I think, yeah, I'd go with, I mean, maybe if I was going to go uber defensive, I'd go Mielder and Jess Carter. But I think they are probably our best, like, 1v1 defenders. The weird thing about the PSG game is, is I've got no idea who PSG are going to play up front. It's like every game they're trying something new. I was just looking at the formation now. It seems Baltimore Martins, definitely. But then down the middle, I have no idea. Yeah, well, they played Diani there. They played Bachmann yeah. there. It so looked like they maybe played Jackie Gronin there as well. Yeah, I know. That's what that's what I'm looking at. But I'm I'm just assuming that this Google formation is wrong because right now I have Jackie Gronin as like the center striker, which I don't see why. But then that game, so their last game against Dijon, they started Diani and Bachmann on the bench. Yeah, they are just like rotating the hell out of all of their attacking players so this makes no sense it will be i think really and, and to that extent maybe chelsea just have to say like there's no point trying to think about what psg mm. are doing we we've been playing this back four this is clearly what we think is our long-term settled back four so we're gonna do it because I, there's not really a specific problem for chelsea to try and solve because they don't know who's going to be there yeah, I mean, one thing's for certain is that don't put Neve Charles against Liga Martins. Mm. <laughs> yeah, we've um, think hopefully we've learned from that mistake. <laughs> Not a great start to the season for Sam Kerr. You would have expected maybe a bit more for her, considering that Chelsea have not played lower teams, but you would have definitely expected Chelsea, um, Sam Kerr to be on the score sheet by now a lot more, potentially. Rough start to the season. What's What's going on, Jesse? You can yeah, ask her tonight. I can ask her tonight, yeah. Uh, we're both interviewing Sam Kerr tonight. I don't know if this is the question I will pose, um, but it has been a tough start to her season. I think maybe she's been unlucky a little bit. You know, obviously the very tight offside against Liverpool, which was like a fantastic finish. She scored in this game, but it was offside as well. And I think to me, it looked a lot tighter than the commentators made out they were kind of like oh yeah obviously offside and I was like mm, obviously because the can't... one camera WSL will show you what offside right is. which is like from that totally wrong angle Precisely. so to that extent maybe you say well you know if those two offside goals count she gets the scrappy one against West Ham and then she's got three and four and you're not really having this conversation but yeah. I think there's you can kind of see there's something there's like she's starting to rush her game again and it's giving me the energy of when she first signed for Chelsea. Now we know that when that happened, like stuff did eventually just all come good, mm. obviously in the best way possible. But I don't know. I would be tempted to, if I was maybe not for the PSG game, but you know, for Brighton, maybe give Beth England a go just again. So Sam Kerr's trying to like get, not get really stuck in her head about it mm. and, and give her the time to, I don't know, find her find her shooting boots a bit. But I think also, you know, like, it's almost amazing, I think, that Kerr's continually done so well for Chelsea when so much has been shuffled around her in attack. Mm. Like, if you think With of that... injuries and formations, it's actually quite impressive, yeah. Yeah, like, obviously, there was the... She starts playing at Chelsea, like, in a two with Beth England. Then she's got the whole season where she's with Fran. 
then Fran's injured and Penilla's injured. So she's kind of for the second season, she's back with Beth England. And then she's got this relationship with Guru, right? And then and then again, we've already like had three games with Fran, but Fran's at a 10, not and as a right James comes into the question. Yeah, and Lauren James is drifting inside. So there's no yeah. natural right wing. So yeah, I'm sure it will, will come good, but I think it would be I'm surprised it hasn't been being remarked upon more. Arsenal's one in the league, watch out. <laughs> I would <laughs> I wouldn't tempt fate on that one. <laughs> Leave me alone, Jesse. Let me <laughs> I mean maybe maybe this is this is a good point to be but what if Man United are winning the league? On or I mean they have been really, really good, but very low key and people aren't really talking about it either. It's another topic which I feel like no one's really talking about what's going on in WCL right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's just like it's all gone quiet because of external and like international break but like Man United 4-0 win over Brighton and you're missing Alessio Russo <laughs> yeah I mean the lineup I mean it's it's a decent back four so Onabaye Letizia Millie Turner Hannah Blundell nothing I mean Onabaye best full back in the world I'm kidding <laughs> everyone I'm kidding I'm not saying that very seriously <laughs> but it's like it's not you know, a world-class backup, but it's a pretty solid backup. And especially with Letizia, I think I've been really impressed with her so far when I've when I've watched her and the confidence that she has in the back. It's, a again, a solid back line. Obviously, Mary Earp's off for really good Euros, but now she's back in the WCL, so we might see the more uh, mm-hmm. natural side of her. And you obviously have Katie Zellum, Ella Toon, Leah Galton, Lucy Staniforth, Lucia Garcia, and Nikita Paris. When you look at the names, you're kind of just like, um, what is this? especially when you name Nikita Paris and Lucia Garcia. But, <laughs> and I thought, I really thought that Man United would struggle a lot more with, without Shafi Gironin, who was kind of like that anchor of the midfield that was giving a lot of energy. But I mean, they've, they've I think they've shut us all up. They've been doing really, really well. Ella Toon obviously is still in form with the brace against Brighton and Adriana Leon also shutting, uh, shutting us up. <laughs> Man United is that team that has like players that you don't really, not that you don't like, but players that you wouldn't consider, you know, the best of the best, but they have enough of good enough players that they've actually have a really good squad, um, which is being overlooked because they don't have, you know, one of the big names in there. But have Man United been the best team in the WSL this season? Well, they've obviously played not best the best teams. Like they've played Reading and Brighton, who I think we can say are probably kind of going to be in and around the bottom. And they also beat West Ham, who I think have been struggling. I wouldn't say struggling necessarily, but like they're clearly going to finish like seventh or eighth, you know. So obviously the real test for United will come when they do face a City, Arsenal or Chelsea, because They've really struggled, I think, against all of those teams in the WSL. Even, you know, in the Manchester derbies where they've been the better team, they've still kind of collapsed under the pressure. But I do think the big difference for United this year is is the fact that Toon, Rousseau and Earps went to a Euros and not only dealt with the pressure of playing in a home Euros, like absolutely thrived under it. And I think... What really stood out to me this game is that, you know, I don't think Ella Toon's had an exceptional start to the season, but, you know, here against Brighton, Alessia Russo's out and Toon kind of steps up to the plate and totally, you know, controls this entire game herself. And I think that's kind of testament to her growing maturity as a player to not only be able to do the kind of one-off technically talented things that we knew she could do, 
but to be able to kind of take a game by the scruff of its neck and say, you know, I'm taking responsibility. I'm going to make this happen for my team. And I think that is just, we might think of United as not really having like star players, but Tuna and Russo kind of are star players, right? Yeah. We just maybe don't see them in that way because they've not been bought in. Yeah. They've always been there. Well, I guess, you know, Russo like arrived, but Tuna's always been there, right? So, and yeah, I think, it will be interesting to see what they they look like when they're truly put under pressure defensively, mm-hmm. because I would still say that left side of their defence is not as technically gifted as their their right side. So Onabatia is not is a the standard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Onabatia and My Letizia is is a great defensive pairing, and Millie yeah. Turner and Hannah Blundell maybe not so much. You know, they're both players who we've seen make big errors in games but mm. obviously they've got Tunkara as well who we've not seen yet so there's there's potentially more to come. Like that. yeah I think they've, they've built and you know we kind of joke about Paris or Lyon or you know even Rachel Williams made it onto the bloody pitch <laughs> which is a real insult to Brighton but you know like but but Paris and Lyon are, are, are talented players who United have got as backups yeah and that's the difference you know I think United a season ago might have had that level of player and had to have them as their first choice. Mm-hmm. But now they're the players who they can bring in when they play 70 minutes or when someone's injured. And you are still getting a good standard of play yeah. as a result. No, it is true. But another team that's been struggling and we kind of called it uh, at the start of the season, but in Hope Pal we trust, but to a certain extent, she can only do so much. <laughs> um, worries for Brighton, switching between a back four and a back five. Not looking settled, not really surprising considering what we talked about in the preview part of the WSL. Not really expecting Brighton to have any kind of rhythm considering how many players they've lost last season. But what are you, what are you saying about Brighton? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, listen, Brighton have already won one game. So to that extent, they're <laughs> off to a good start. They're off to a good... I mean, but kind of like, you know, when you look at Leicester and Reading, who've, who've won absolutely nothing, like the pressure will come on yeah. Brighton when they do start to pick up points. Because in the past, you've only needed to win a couple of games to to step up. I wonder if that yeah. won't be the case this season. You might need a bit more. And Brighton have had to play Arsenal, United, and, and they'll have to play Chelsea on Sunday. Although probably mm-hmm. get points there, obviously. But, you know, that's like a horrific start to the season for them. But to me, just like what made me worried in this game was that they looked so disorganized from the start Mm. and I just feel like there's a sense where Hope Powell hasn't figured out what she's doing with this defense and that's not very Hope Powell-y and obviously you know they brought back Rebecca Stott and then she immediately injured herself and that that was a big loss because I think that was going to really be an upgrade you know Victoria Williams has got Kaylee Green playing alongside her and we've just seen Kaylee Green being offside all the time up front for Wales so that kind of tells you everything you need to know there I think but yeah they they looked really really poor in this game and and what's worse maybe is they really just you could tell they just kind of gave up. I mean, obviously in the second half, they only conceded one more goal, but by the end of the first half, it was just like they were just letting United run through them. And I think that's a real worry. That's fair. We'll we'll see how... We'll come the end of the season, we'll see where Brighton are. Um, But quickly on Manchester City 4, Leicester City 0. Gareth Taylor making some tactical switches um, because he's a genius. (laughs) He's obviously a genius. Alexandri back into defence where she belongs, really. 
uh, Hasegawa at the base of midfield. How do you pronounce that, Jesse? Go on. Kasparai. Is that how you say it? Kirsten Kasparai. Yeah. Kasparai. Okay. Morgan on either flank. Um, I am really happy to see Esme Morgan back. I'm just going to say that there. She was so cute when she came on for her England debut. I know. She was that, just that smiling was really so much. That, that entire post-match of Esme Morgan getting her first cap was just so wholesome cute. content. And obviously Lauren Hemp and Bunny Combo. We'll go through this quickly. Man City, can they come back this season into the top too? I mean, I think I think these changes are the right ones, right? Like, it makes sense to be playing. Alexandri in defence. Yes. It, it's Al- just, it's her natural position. It just Alexandri makes- and Greenwood together, you're like... That could okay. be a very good centre-back player. And I think having... I don't know whether this was just because it was Leicester and Taylor wanted to be able to give both his kind of young fullbacks minutes, but I do think Esme Morgan will be a lot more dynamic than Demi Stokes. And if she can have the same defensive level, then I do think that will help City overwhelm teams a bit more. Mm. Whereas I think sometimes, you know, we've kind of seen Demi Stokes fall out of favour with England as well. It makes me think that there is maybe a bit of a drop-off in her performances that I can't say I've like totally noticed. Mm. Like it's not like she's making obvious errors, but maybe it is just a bit more of that dynamism. The Hasegawa thing is interesting. I personally think it's a waste of Hasegawa there, mm-hmm. but she's a good enough player to be able to do it. I kind of think I would like to see Vicky Lasada play there. I was, I've, I've been biting my tongue the entire time you've been speaking. <laughs> I don't know why Vicky Lasada does not play. When you see, and especially if, you, if you're going to have a center back pairing of Laya Alexandri and Alex Greenwood, who know how to play with a, like a good six, considering Alex Greenwood is used to playing with Kira Wash, Laia Alexander is, is for Spain, you know. She's used to playing with that six to take the ball out of defensive and high press. If you put Vicky Lozada there and you put two midfielders in the midfield, who like Laura Combs or Haley Raz or Mary Fowler, whoever's going to be in the midfield, who's going to be that... What I'm trying to say is Vicky Lozada is basically your output player who can be under pressure and do it perfectly. And when Vicky Lozada didn't play against Real Madrid, that's that was like the big question. It was like, you're playing against a team that she knows really well. You're playing against, you're playing in a match that you need calmness on the ball and structure and tempo. And you literally have the perfect player on the bench to do that. And it just made no sense. But do you think it's a bit of a fitness issue? Because it feels like she's never really got a run of games maybe just because they don't see her as being I can't figure out if it's like a Gareth Taylor yeah. thing or whether because she obviously has picked up a lot of like little injuries yeah like no I definitely agree with that but then also like the role that she can play in the midfield she doesn't necessarily need to be fit so if she's that like I'm not saying to like she's not going to be like Akira Walsh or Lee Williamson who takes the ball as a six and runs it off the pitch She's going to be the outlet of receiving the ball and playing it out to players like Lauren Hemp or Mary Fowler who can actually advance the ball up the pitch, if that makes sense. Mm. But it's just, I just, I genuinely don't really know why he's not using her. And it's like really annoying me. And I, I, I want to know why, like genuinely, because obviously he's not really figured out his midfield either. So 
I don't know why he's not really trying with her included. Um, but we can, we'll, we'll leave that there because Gareth Taylor always makes us talk too much. Mm-hmm. We'll go on to the rest of Europe quickly. We'll summarize what's happening. Going on to Barcelona, uh, they had a 3-0 win over Athletic Club Bilbao. I think it highlights, and before that, they had the 7-1 against Madrid CFF. But a 3-0 win with 25 attempts on goal and only seven on target. 25 attempts, seven on target, three goals. That is awful. I'm sorry. But it's like when you look at what how they're playing and what they're doing, they're kind of just lost in, in how to how to get goals. And we've seen it before like we've seen it happen before, you know, all the possession, all the the ball advancing, having you know opportunities to get into good positions, but they're just not executing it. And they've that's been their downfall, and that's been their downfall always. Um, but now it's a bit frustrating because you have a really good, you know, Gazet is a really good player and she's starting to get more comfortable in the Barcelona attack. But I also wonder if this might get better once Aitana Bonmati comes back into the midfield and gives that energy that you would usually see Alexia having. What do you think, Jesse? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't watch this game because there was like a million things on at the same time. But I definitely think it's obviously been a big loss. For, like, I think it's been underrated that Barcelona, like at the start of the season, haven't just had, they haven't just been missing Alexia. They've also been missing Aitana. And yeah. I do think it will make a big difference with her coming back in. And obviously, you know, it's not actually really troubled Barcelona in the end in, in these games. But Mm-hmm. I think it will be important for them in the Champions League to kind of ha- have her back because she's also going to, you know, I think she's going to have to go up a level, right? Like she's obviously an, an incredibly talented player. She's just finished fifth in the Ballon d'Or. I think that's totally fair. I can't believe like that she's still only 24. It seems insane. It's insane. But I do think there will be pressure on her to take that next step this season with Alexia not being there. And it will be interesting to see how she kind of deals with that in terms of having those changing relationships in midfield, you know, having to build, you know, a new relationship with Kira Walsh and having Patry playing in a different position to where she's maybe more used to her playing. So, yeah, I think it's really important for Barcelona that Aitana's back, obviously. And I think it would have been really interesting if they'd had Bayern first up in the Champions League. But I think getting some of those extra extra matches under their belt before they um, play Bayern will, will probably help them out a lot. I guess. But quite quickly, Hoffenheim, obviously a big name that we always talk about. Jesse, you watched that match. How'd they look? Yeah, this was like the main thing I managed to get from, managed to watch from Europe this weekend. And it was like truly, a truly hilarious game. It was so classic Hoffenheim. They were like totally dominant in in this match. They were playing Freiburg, but they went 2-1 down like just before half time and then scored two really silly goals to win 3-2 but the thing that was really weird and was like making confusing my mind was that they had Paulina Krumbiegel playing at left back which I assume is because Julia Hickelsberger Fuller who was like one of their big summer signings the Austrian winger is playing sorry at right back and she's playing at right wing and I'd never seen Krumbiegel playing so far back but what they were doing which was really weird was in possession they were like tucking her in at centre back but then she'd like run forward and then suddenly she'd be in midfield and I honestly I barely watched this game because I was just watching what Crumbeagle was doing and it was super strange and 
this Hoffenheim team is just so classic because I can never really understand what they're doing, but it's always kind of interesting and funny. So it was a very enjoyable game to watch, even if it was totally, totally bizarre. I am quite sad that we won't see them in the Champions League. I'm really sad. I'm really sad. I am I am really sad. But speaking of Champions League, let's do quick fire predictions. Ready? Leon Arsenal. Leon Arsenal. Uh Leon. I have to say Leon as well. Well, mm, yeah, I'll say Leon. PSG Chelsea. Chelsea. Oh. You know, I, I could I could get behind that. I could probably get behind that. I think those two are the big ones. Obviously, Bayern Rosengard, that could be an interesting match. Zurich Juventus, Viasnia Real Madrid, Wolfsburg St. Paulton, Roma Slavia Praha. That's because interesting. That, that's, I was guess that's gonna be that could be a decider. That's the hipster's choice for the Champions <laughs> League this week. If you're not if you're really like women's football, you're watching Yeah. Roma exactly. Slavia Praha. Fuck watching Fuck I, what PSG day is that Chelsea. on? Fuck watching PSG Chelsea. Watch Slavia Praha Roma. Yeah, I love that. All right. Well we'll Jesse and I will be at both Leon Arsenal and PSG Chelsea. So we'll see if we get some uh, cheeky content up post-match. We'll, we'll see if Chelsea wins and Jesse's in the mood. <laughs> Are you ready to see Leon again? The last time you saw them was very happy, Alex. I, I don't know if I hate watching Leon in Leon or if I'm going to hate Arsenal losing against Leon more. At least you can chat to um, your good friend Tiana. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we'll leave it at that. We'll come back, obviously, with a Champions League roundup after tomorrow. I I am quite nervous about this trip. I don't know why, but <laughs> not nervous. It's just like, I think I'm like nervous, excited for the start of the Champions League because I feel like I've been waiting for this for so long. It's like Christmas Eve right now. I can't believe it. When you tweeted earlier today, being like, Champions League is tomorrow. I was like, it's what? Tomorrow? tomorrow? I've got to get to France. And I was like, yeah, you're just going to go tomorrow. But I'm like, how? You're, you're going to fly tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Obviously. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll leave it at that. And um, thank you for listening. And we'll be back next episode with a Champions League roundup. Uh, speak soon. Bye.